Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Alliance Church in Lexington, Kentucky. The sermon you're about to hear, Aliens, Ambassadors, Advocates, and Acumen, was preached by Dan McPherson, our pastor of Group Life and High School, on Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 1 to 14. It was recorded on March 3rd, 2024, and is part of our series, True Security. My name is Dan McPherson. I'm the high school and group life pastor here at First Alliance. Glad you're with us this morning. One of the parts of my job that I kind of oversee, and so I'm going to take advantage of my platform, is uh, men's ministry. So all the dudes in the room would love for you to be a part of our men's conference coming up March 15, 16. It's going to be here at the church Friday night and Saturday. In the morning on Saturday, we'll be here at the church. In the afternoon, we'll be partnering with Lexington Rescue Mission and our local impact weekend and going to go serve them in that. So would love for you to be a part of that. It is um, not very costly of your time or your money, um, so no excuses. Um, so yeah, I will, um, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I don't want to shame you, but just, you know. You know. Um, so anyway, March 15, 16, we'd love to see you there. It's a good, good team have put together a great weekend, so I'm looking forward to it. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah's in the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Let me pray as we begin. God, thank you once again for the opportunity to gather as a church family, as a family of believers, and as rarely I get to sit on the front row, it's such a joy and encouragement to hear all the voices singing, worthy is your name. What a blessing to be in a place with people who are like-minded. I pray as We open your word this morning that you would speak, that we would hear your voice and not mine. In your name, amen. So we're in the middle of a series called True Security, True Security. And our thesis statement, the kind of the springboard for the series, is true security is found in who I am as a child of God and obedience to the teachings of Jesus. So each week we are looking at different scripture passages that reveal and affirm those two things, our identity, who we are as children of God, and the teaching of Jesus, or really the whole of Scripture and how we live in this world. So today's Scripture and message is for those who call ourselves followers of Jesus. So if that's you, if you're a Christian, I would encourage you to lean in. But if that's not you, I still think you're going to find this incredibly interesting, maybe even compelling Because you will hear the heart of God for his people and how he wants his children to live in the world. So I would encourage you to listen closely as well. I'll be honest, I do not love when pastors use alliteration in their sermons. I think it's kind of cheesy, a wee bit silly, um, and I did that today. So uh, I, I got started and I just couldn't stop, so... 
I apologize. But here's where we're going, kind of the big idea for today. God wants his children to be aliens, ambassadors, advocates, and have acumen. Aliens, ambassadors, advocates with acumen. So if you have your Bible, hopefully you've turned to the Old Testament book, Jeremiah, specifically chapter 29. Jeremiah is a prophet, and he has spent his whole ministry up to this point warning Israel that because they have broken their covenant with God, there will be coming judgment executed through the empire of Babylon. And Babylon invades the Israelite nation three times, actually. Each time they take Israelites back as captives and indoctrinate them in Babylonian culture. So the most well-known example of this is Daniel, the best name in all of Scripture. Daniel and the lion's den. He was taken in the first invasion, which was 605 BC. Jeremiah writes his letter after the second invasion, which happened seven or eight years later. So Daniel was in Babylon at the time of this letter. Another interesting tidbit is the prophet Ezekiel was taken during that second invasion. So Ezekiel is captive in Babylon as well. Which brings us to chapter 29. It begins like this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders, the priests, the prophets, and all the people Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, or Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, craftsmen and metalsmiths had left Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. So Jeremiah is 800 miles away, back in Jerusalem, writing to the people taken from their country and everything they have known. Jeremiah is a prophet, so this letter is not just a note, but it is a word from the Lord. The next verse says, this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. So for the receiver, this is a letter from home. They're in a foreign land. They're homesick. They're confused. And this is a letter of comfort, of guidance, of direction for what to do next. And God makes it clear. Nebuchadnezzar brought you to Babylon. This is a result of my judgment. But I am still there with you. This letter was to the Israelite exiles. But in the New Testament, all Christians are called exiles. Peter begins his first letter to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. James addresses his letter to the 12 tribes scattered across the nations. And what Drew read for us earlier, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exile. So Jeremiah is writing to the Israelites. He's passing a letter from God to the Hebrew exiles, but it's a message for all believers that we can all take note of because 2,500 years from then, we are here today as exiles. So what does God command? Let's read on. Let's begin in verse 5. Build houses and live in them, 
Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage to men so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I've deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says. Don't let your prophets who are among you and your diviners deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams you elicit from them. For they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. Now, for the aforementioned, amazing, appealing, awesome, abundant alliteration. (laughs) Amusement and applause appreciated. (laughs) For the Israelites of Babylon, for Christians all over the world today, God says, you are aliens. You are aliens. (laughs) For your viewing pleasure, a few examples from movies over the years. There are more than a few that are too weird and terrifying to put on the screen, but aliens have been portrayed in lots of ways. But for me, the dominating characteristic of aliens is that this world is not their home. For Israelites, Babylon was not their home. They were aliens in a foreign land. And if you're a Christian, this place is not your home. You are from another world. You are an alien in a foreign land. And God's command isn't to find the quickest exit and head back to your home planet. It's actually the exact opposite. In verse 10, if you still have it there, he says you're actually going to be here for a while. 70 years, in fact. So settle down, build houses, plant, have families. Do all of that while still remembering this place is not your home. Which actually is a pretty difficult and fine line to walk because on one hand, it would be easier to live like a tourist. You walk around, you see the sights, you get your passport stamped, you have some conversations with the locals, you take some pictures, you eat some food. You're present there, but you're detached. You're holding it at arm's length. You stay for a while, but you're living out of a suitcase. You're just waiting for the day when it's time to go home, a tourist. But on the other hand, it would be easier to just jump in with both feet, to move in and fit in, to immerse yourself in the culture and the environment, to throw away the suitcase and the passport, forget where you came from and where you're going. It's finding this challenging middle ground, what Jesus in his prayer from John 17 calls being in the world, but not of the world. We are aliens. We're commanded to settle and live, but always remembering this world is not our home. It's also worth mentioning that, save for a few examples, aliens look different, sound different, and or act differently than the culture and society around them. Paul writes to the Colossians, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. You once walked in these things when you were living in them, but now, since you have put off the old self with its practices, have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. As an alien, don't be surprised if you stand out because you're different. And actually, in movies, 
aliens that look like humans are often the most dangerous. What implications might that have for us? You are an alien. But more than just aliens, we are also ambassadors. Broadly speaking, ambassadors represent the organization, the company, or the country that they serve. And they do that in a lot of ways, but two categories stand out for me. The first can be clearly seen by ambassadors for organizations or companies. And it's that they must intimately know whom they are representing. So when I was in college, I was an ambassador for Asbury. I gave tours, I helped host events, I answered phone calls, I answered questions, I helped with various projects related to the university, and I was often the first person that would a potential student or family would meet or talk to. And in many ways, ambassadors are the face of the organization, the first contact for new people. Ambassadors need to know the ins and outs to be knowledgeable and skilled in presenting information. Be prepared to answer questions and concerns about who they represent. To be an ambassador means you need to believe in, you need to promote with gusto, you need to represent your organization well. All of those were roles and expectations for me at Asbury. And it also means there is rejection sometimes. I gave many tours to people who chose not to go to the university. Obviously not because of me, other, other issues they had. But often ambassadors bear the brunt of that rejection. So that's the first thing. The second can be seen in ambassadors to other nations, diplomats to other countries. The ambassador must know the country that they are the ambassador to. So it's important to know the language, to know the people, the ins and outs of that country, to be a student of its culture, of its politics, economy, infrastructure, not only to know about that, but to appreciate it on some level, to empathize with, to try to understand where they're coming from, all while remembering and representing another country whose heart and allegiance and citizenship is truly too. So being ambassadors for Christ, which is a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 5, it means that our heart, our citizenship, our allegiance is not to this world, not to our city, not to Kentucky, not to the United States of America. Our allegiance and citizenship is to the kingdom of heaven. We are God's representatives. We are the face of the kingdom. You must believe in Jesus and promote him with gusto. Know the ins and outs. Be knowledgeable and skilled in presenting the gospel. To give tours of scripture. To meet with people who don't know Jesus. To answer questions and concerns about faith. But we also must be students of culture. Learning about the world that we live in. Not to fit in or assimilate, but to empathize, to understand to love the people and culture that we're ministering to. And it'll probably mean some rejection. People who dismiss, even ridicule or mock, at the very least, walk away. We're aliens. This world is not our home. We are ambassadors. We represent the kingdom of heaven, being students of the world, but pledging allegiance 
to Christ. And we're also advocates. An advocate's role is to plead on behalf of another. God speaks to the exiles in verse 7. Pursue the well-being of the city I've deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For when it thrives, you will thrive. The word for well-being there, some translations have peace or prosperity. The word in the language of the Bible is shalom. We often translate shalom to peace in English, but it's a more robust concept. The true biblical shalom means this inward sense of completeness, of wholeness. It means tranquility, soundness, well-being, complete reconciliation. So for the Israelites who are reading Jeremiah's letter, this would have sounded utterly ridiculous. And this is why the Babylonian empire was the most evil entity of the day. So much so that throughout the rest of scripture, Babylon is used many times to describe other nations or empires that have rejected the one true God. So the last thing they wanted to do, let alone wanted to hear God command them to do, was pray for the shalom of Babylon. Pastor Tim Keller notes that this is the closest thing in the Old Testament to Jesus' command to love your enemies. Don't just tolerate where you're at. Don't just grin and bear it. Pray blessing over them. It was shocking then, and it's shocking now. Why? Because if we take that posture, it means we can't walk around angrily railing against what's happening in culture. It means we must pay, pre, pray peace, well-being, blessing on the people in power, whether we voted for them or not. It means we can't conspire or undermine authority, but submit, like was read for us earlier. It means we can't find people to grumble and complain with because they get it. You know how we Christians do that. It means we must change our prayer from just take me home to I trust your perfect timing. It means not just praying, but pursuing its well-being. So we need to roll up our sleeves, find places to serve, to make our community, our city, our world a better place for the next generation. It means standing out as beacons of peace, of encouragement, of hope. Which all of that means we have to surround ourselves with other believers. Because ain't no way I'm doing that by myself. <laughs> Community is so important as we advocate on behalf of this world. As we pray blessing. As we pursue its well-being. We're aliens. This world is not our home. We're ambassadors. We represent the kingdom of heaven. Pledging allegiance to Christ. And we're advocates. Pursuing and praying shalom blessing over the world. And we have acumen. Acumen starts with A, which uh, might seem like I was reaching for the alliteration. But honestly, I think it fits perfectly. Because acumen means keenness of judgment or insight. Depth of perception. It means discernment, quickness, or accuracy. And Jeremiah writes in 8 and 9, Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. 
Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Babylon was filled with pagan gods and temples. But it's the false prophets that God wants to warn them of the most. They were telling the Israelites that it would be a swift captivity. That was the message they were giving. You'll be back in your homeland in no time. They were proclaiming what the exiles wanted them to hear, what they were hoping and longing for. In reality, God says, it's going to be 70 years, thus build houses, have families, etc. One commentator writes, let men beware how they call those prophets whom they choose after their own fancies, how they consider their fancies and dreams to be revelations from God. False prophets flatter people in their sins because we love to be flattered. And they speak smoothly to their prophets, that their prophets may speak smoothly to them. Another commentator writes, The prophets were perverting the pure words of guidance coming to them from the Lord. Words that were their only hope in the land of their exile. How like this present world for the Christian. We can more easily detect many of the dangers of the secular system, but not so easily do we detect heresies in the midst of those professing the faith. As a teacher of God's word, this is a big wake-up call for me, as it should be for you. How important it is to ask the Lord for discernment, to search the scriptures, to say, Holy Spirit, give me keen judgment, accurate insight, to understand what you are truly communicating to your people, what you're truly communicating to me. Get wisdom, the writer of Proverbs says. How much better is it than gold? Get understanding, it's preferable to silver. Paul writes the Ephesians, let no one deceive you with empty arguments. Pay careful attention to how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And Jesus says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents, as innocent as doves. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Not a tickle the ears message from Jesus there, but one that gives insight into what he expects from us as believers. Acumen. Acumen should undergird all of the above. So may we be aliens with acumen. This land is not our home. God, give us wisdom on how to be in but not of the world. Ambassadors with acumen. Our allegiance is to a different kingdom. God, give us discernment on how to best represent your name. May we be advocates With acumen, we plead shalom on behalf of this world. God, give us keen insight into how to pray in honoring and patient ways, discernment and how to serve in kind and loving ways. When the Israelite exiles heard it would be 70 years, there would have been lots of reasons to feel hopeless. 
An entire generation would come and go in that time. So it was no wonder they wanted to believe the prophets who were forecasting a quick return. And you may be in a place where you feel that deeply too. This longing for home, this feeling maybe of hopelessness. How long, O Lord? In their book, Faith for Exiles, which is Barna's research, David Kinneman and Mark Matlock write this. Exiles in digital Babylon, that's what they call kind of our world today, sometimes have a love-hate relationship with the place, like the feeling you have when visiting a big, noisy city in another country. It's intoxicating, but exhausting. The complexity can be both fascinating and repellent. Those who love Jesus often feel this tension deeply. We truly appreciate what our society has to offer, yet can't help but long for something more safe, more comfortable, a place that feels like home. So for the Israelites, God had this message, beginning in verse 10. For this is what the Lord says, when 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. Finally, this verse, Jeremiah 29, you are waiting for this verse. Notice it comes after verses 1 through 10. This is happening probably in year two or three of when they are exiled. And God says 70 more years, but, but I know the plans and things I have for you. We love this verse. But for our 21st century minds and hearts, there's so much more than just Jeremiah 29, 11. We have the entire library of scripture that's a letter from home that will keep us from falling away in this foreign land, that will sustain us We might feel like, how long, O Lord? And Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Therefore, since we have a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin. Run with endurance the race that lies before us. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. He will live with them. They will be his peoples. God himself will be with them and will be their God. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. On and on and on and on it goes. Promise after promise after promise of a future and a hope. It may feel hard 
but there's so much I have for you. Read the letter from home. It's there. And if all else fails, we can look to the ultimate model, Jesus. I've said it many times, and actually Paul said it last week. Jesus never asks us to do something he hasn't done himself. I love that about our Savior. He came as a human into a world that was not his home. The message version of John 1 says he became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. In other words, he was an alien. He was persecuted, ridiculed, mocked, and beaten because he was an ambassador, the literal face of the kingdom of heaven. And in advocating on our behalf, he died. Tim Keller puts it this way. God told Jesus, if you prosper, they will die. If they prosper, you will die. And Jesus said, I will. God, we recognize this world is not our home. We pray that we represent you well. We pray for the shalom, the peace and well-being of this world that you've placed us in. We pray for keen wisdom, keen insight, discernment on how to live. And we thank you for the promise that you are coming soon. We pray that. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And yet, may we be faithful until you return. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Here at First Alliance Church, our mission is to passionately pursue God, extend life-changing hope, and disciple people to be spirit-empowered followers of Jesus. To learn more about our church or to hear other sermons like this one, visit us at facleax.com.